If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichad Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Are you ready for the sermon tonight? I am so excited. It's actually very sad. Whom of you is your first time in church this year? Yeah, you've been back in Bloom now recently. Can I just see anyone? So you missed out. Okay, so we did a four-week series on the theme of love. And tonight is our final, final week um, in the sermon series. We're preaching on the theme of love, which is also the theme of our year for the Doxado family. And we are very excited. We're going to end off our series tonight on a high note. And I really trust God that you would be open to receive what He wants to impart in your life tonight. But I thought that we're going to start a bit differently tonight. So I want to share some wedding photos with you of some of the beautiful leaders of the Doxodeo family in the evening service. And as they say, that some people get more beautiful as they age. Amen. So I want to quickly, and obviously none of us were invited to these weddings. So that's why I, I, you know, I bring it to you so that you can partake in the joy. So are you ready? Okay, so let's look at the first couple. Um, Aiden and Nila. So I thought just to um, give some descriptions to the photos, uh, just to make it fun and interesting. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Aiden is a person of multitasking, smiling and fixing. Okay, next. Yanru, Lizo. <laughs> How beautiful is that? <laughs> I wonder what Liesl is thinking. I should have put a thing there as well. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> I just want to say, on my wedding day, I had a, a very good friend in the church who has a, um, a salon for hair. And she said, no, I want to do your hair for your wedding. And I'm like, yo, do I need to do my hair for a wedding? And uh, so I didn't see what she was doing. And afterwards, when I just I came to the altar stood next to Jana, I cried my eyes out, you know. And I stood there, and Jana said, what's wrong with your hair? <laughs> You always wanted that to happen on your wedding. Okay, last but not least. Oh, no, no, not last. (laughs) Ferdi, Claire. Beautiful. I thought on the other side, just to put, am I supposed to lick or smell the hand? But (laughs) I thought that's a bit cringy, but now I said it. Okay, so. (laughs) And then the last one, Yaku and Yumi. Beautiful. (laughs) I mean, you always want to take a quick nap at your wedding just to make sure that you have enough energy left. I mean, weddings are exciting. Amen. Never been invited to a wedding? Don't stress. Hopefully someone will. If not, come and speak to me. I do a lot of them. I can grab you along. John, I don't want to come to all of them. So sometimes I need a partner to go with me to a wedding. So you're always welcome to come with me. I just did a wedding on Friday. It's incredible. I love weddings. And here's the amazing thing about weddings is what, what do we celebrate at a wedding? It's a joyous occasion. We celebrate love. We celebrate the fact that two people found each other 
that they are destined for each other. They want to spend their whole lives together. They are in love. They are absolutely smitten and they have no idea what's waiting for them um, in marriage. And they're just going for it because they feel all of the nice hormones of marriage. And then after a year, they're like, what on earth is this? You actually have to do something. You have to work. You know, you have to sacrifice. It's not about you anymore. There's another person in your bed all of the time, you know. Um, the shower is full of hair. Um, men, ladies, shed. Okay? It's like I had to unclog our drain three times in the last two years. Because of hair. It's gross. Ladies are gross in that sense. Men, okay, oh, sorry, my wife is not here, luckily. <laughs> Don't send her a WhatsApp, okay? <laughs> I mean, but marriage is incredible, and I, I remember on our wedding, you know, the week before, John and I had a cool chat, and um, she was like, I just want to say, she said to me, I just want to say, I'm going to cry the whole day, to let you know. Bring me some tissues, do what you need to do, but make peace with it. I'm the bride. I can cry at my wedding if I want to, and I'm gonna. And I'm like, no, you're not supposed to cry on your wedding. It's a beautiful day. It's a happy day. We don't cry at weddings. We laugh at weddings. It's a joyous occasion. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll see. So guess what? On the wedding itself, she didn't cry once. Who was the crier on the wedding? Like everyone that came to greet me and said, well done, you know, sure. I'm like, yes, I know. God is so good, you know. I cried the whole day and I thought to myself, what's wrong with you? But it is amazing. It's overwhelming. This feeling of I have a wife for the rest of my life. I have a friend that I get to go home with every evening. It's beautiful. Love is incredible. But here's the crazy thing, friends, is sometimes, even in marriage, we project our understanding and experience of what love is on our spouse or on what we think a marriage should be. You were taught a certain way. That love is like this, so now you think that your marriage is also going to be like this. Love is supposed to be this. For some of you, you grew up with a beautiful picture of marriage and love, and you think to yourself, Yo, one day I'm going to be the happiest guy or lady alive. For some of us, you grew up with a bit of a bad experience in terms of love, and you think you are afraid of what is going to happen in marriage one day. You see, we project our perspective and understanding of love on a thing like a marriage how much more on God you see that is the biggest mistake that Christianity has made through the ages is the fact that we have projected our limited understanding of what love is on God we've constructed a Christianity that looks like this. Yo, this guy is done. I mean, he's got, he had four weeks of fun, but no, every, yeah, he's like a lady. He sheds every week. 
Like, I think after tonight, we're going to burn him, okay? If you want to be part of that ritual. Okay. Not in church, though. Outside. We'll just give Yaku's dengerinki terug, and then we'll burn the thing. Because why? Here's the fact, friends. There's a massive issue in the church of Christ today. We have constructed a religion that, you know, it looks like the real deal, but it's dead. It's lifeless. It's loveless. It's without hope. It actually scares people away. How many people are leaving the church these days? How many people do not want to do, have anything to do with Christianity because of this? We've constructed an idea of what relationship with Jesus is based on our own understanding of love. That's why the Bible says God is love. Not love is God. God is the one that defines love for us. We don't define God by our understanding of love. It's the other way around. And in this series, we said, Lord, come and redefine what we think about love. Redefine our understanding. Redefine the way that we do love, that we act when we love each other. Come and restore something of that in our church and in our city. And I hope you are going with us in this journey. Lord, teach us how to love properly. And tonight we're going to end this sermon series by looking at a scripture out of the book of John. You're welcome to turn your Bible there, open your phone there. Um, for the next few weeks, um, I'm going to do a bit of Bible study with you. So um, I'm going to throw it here up on the middle screen so that you can follow with me and just see how I work with the scripture. And hopefully that helps you and hopefully it makes you excited to do that on your own. Um, you can buy a new Bible every year, I just want to say, because it's full of scribbles and highlighters and, you know, throw that one away, start over again, you know, study the Word of God, be in the Word of God. It's, it's so, so, so incredible. Yes, you can write in your Bible. It's okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. 1 John 4. Verse 16 to 18. Let's read it together. And so we know and rely on the love of God He has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, you have to see the progression here. John is actually describing the progression of love, the growth of love in a person's life. What is the first step to grow in love? The first step is to know. Second step, to come to rely or trust in. One, two, three. What's the next, is it the next step in terms of growth in love is to live in love or abide. Actually, some of the translations say abide in love. Even in a romantic relationship or a marriage relationship, this, it works exactly like this. It, you see, you can't live or abide if you don't know yet. 
You first need to know the person. Then it progresses to the place of trusting the person. And when the trust levels are enough, then the abiding or the living out of this love starts. What is messed up with relationships today? Yes, we want to live and abide, but we don't want to know and trust. And that creates a tension in terms of how love grows in a person's life. Exactly in our relationship with God. We first come to know His love. You see, whenever the Bible uses the word know, it speaks about not knowledge in the sense of just information. It speaks about being intimately acquainted with this topic. To know that you are loved. So firstly, what happens is in our relationship with God, God appeals to the head, to the mind, to know, to understand, to grasp the love of God. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Eugene, we've spoken about love many times. I mean, can we just get to like the real stuff of Christianity, the deep things, you know? Help me to understand how the spiritual gifts work. And, you know, help me to uh, understand what was the giants doing in Genesis? When is the end times? Is Jesus coming back this year? You know, let's, let's spend time on those things. You know what, friend? Love, it seems like, is a topic that we can never fully discover. It's endless. Psalms, David writes, there's no end to your love. Paul writes, I want to know the breadth and the depth and the width and the length of your love. It's as if your whole life, or like Franco would say, your whole life is all about. <laughs> Sorry, Franks. <laughs> your whole life is a mission to grow. In your understanding, in the depth and the breadth and the length and the width of the love of God. But it starts with knowing that you are loved. Knowing that God is love. Then it progresses to the heart. You're like, Eugene, don't color it in. We don't have time. Just go on. I have a bit of, I need to, sorry. I'll just... Take, you know, I, I just need to color it. No, I'm not OCD. No, I am. I'm ODC. <laughs> About CDO. Donkey Mars in the It progresses to the heart where trust is built. You now start to rely on the love of God. Not only know it, but your heart puts all of its energy, all of its hopes and dreams on the love of God. You find your security in the love of God. So it moves from the head to the heart and then, only then, it goes to the hands. It's lived out in the way that you live your life. You see, we, we constructed two ministry stations here. The one says, I am loved, and the other one says, now I love. That's the new covenant. The way that God loves me, that is exactly how I go and I now love my world. The people around me. But friend, in the end we're going to give you a moment to just give expression to that. But I want to say, 
This is our year theme of love. But don't go too quickly from that board to that board. Make sure that you stay there for a while to know that you are loved, to trust in the fact that God loves you. Before you say, okay, let's go and love our city, let's go and love my friends and neighbors and family, you have to first make sure that you know and trust the love of God, then abide, then live in His love. Let's read on. This is how love is made complete, John says, among us, so that we will have what? Confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Can you see the connection here, friends? Fear is connected to punishment. Love is connected to confidence. You see, what John is saying is there are two ways to actually progress in your growth of love. There are two ways to do it. The first way is through fear. By the law. I have to. The second way is through love. How does that happen? By the Spirit. What is the outcome of this fear and law? Punishment. The actual Greek word here is torment. Let me just say something on that quickly. What does it look like for a Christian to live in fear? It means you are unsure if you are in relationship with God. You always doubt the fact that you are doing enough. Am I really doing enough for God? I'm living in that fear gap. Like, am I really part of His inner circle? Can I really come with confidence before Him? Isn't there something that I miss? Am I good enough? Will He accept me? That is fear-based Christianity. And that, my friend, the, you know, is God really, you know, pleased with me? That doubt in our hearts is caused by fear. That leads to torment, punishment. You live in pain as a Christian, if you live like that, you're always unsure. You have this battle going on on the inside, this spiritual battle with yourself. It's this kind of Christianity. It's difficult. It drains you. You, you feel like you're tormented by all of these thoughts. It leads to a very bad place. Then there's another way, the way of love, where God's Spirit come and indwells us. He come and fills us, and He becomes the one that pours out the love of God in our hearts. And then what happens? 
confidence comes from that reality. Even in judgment, one day, we have confidence to stand before God. Why? Not because of our own works, but because of His grace and faithfulness. You see, what is fear? Phobia. It's actually the Latin word there. Phobia. Like, scared. Like, who of you have been, like, scared recently? On a show of hands. Did someone scare you? Like, what happens when that, when that feeling of fear comes? It feels like your stomach is, your, your insides are on the outside. You check to see if your clothes are still okay. You get those goosebumps, but not the nice ones, the bad ones. Like, I am afraid. It feels like a beast is next to me. You know that feeling of fear. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. Imagine what fear does to the soul and the spirit of a man. Why do we fear? Three things. We fear because we think that our past will somehow catch up to us and God will come and expose our past, keep us accountable for what we did, and somewhere, God is, God is going to come at the end of age even or somewhere and going to blabber out all of your mistakes to humanity so that they can see who you were before Christ. We fear that our past will have an effect on us now. Second thing is, in our present, we fear that what we are going to face right now and facing Right now that God won't be enough. That is not with me in what I am facing right now. I experience fear in this moment. And then the third aspect is in my future. Whatever I'm going to face, my uncertainties, my, what my future will look like. I'm not sure if God will be enough. That He will provide. That He will be there. That I will be safe in His arms. So now I already fear the things that will happen. That's what fear in the life of a Christian looks like. But here's the crazy, crazy idea, friends. And you guys can close that now, thanks. I know. Otherwise, you're going to see all of my notes. Well, you're welcome to follow. What is the incredible truth about being included in Jesus? Our past is handled. Last week we said it. Aidan said it so brilliantly. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God is not in the business of exposing your mistakes of the past. He's in the business of handling them, covering them, giving grace to you. There's no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your past is secure. Your present. You have a high priest in heaven that is at this moment sitting at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for you on your behalf. 
Everything in your life is covered because He is there interceding, speaking to His Father about you. You are secure. Your future, my friend, if you are in Christ, all that is left for you is life, life, life. No more death. The end result of your life will be life to its fullest. Fullest! <laughs> My voice is screechy. <laughs> now some of you listened actually. Nice. <laughs> Do you hear me? Your past is sorted. Your present is sorted. Your future is sorted. There is no place for fear. We love rules. Listen to Romans 8, verse 33 to 39. I, just close your eyes for a moment. Just drink in this truth. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I am Fully convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, my friend, you are safe in His love. You are safe in His love. You see, we don't have the spirit of what? Fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. This Holy Spirit that is poured out in our hearts is not the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That is the Holy Spirit. You, you see, we sometimes think the Holy Spirit is the one that accuses us. Of everything is that little voice that accuses you. No, my friend, who's the accuser? Satan. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, he's the friend, he's the spirit of truth, he's the one that reveals love, he's the one that brings power and self control to our lives. That is the Holy Spirit, and that's why Paul says, When the Holy Spirit infills and indwells a person, it brings forth fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, if you go to Wisander, to one of those industrial places, have you ever seen, uh, you know, a place that produces apples? Like a machinery. Have you ever seen it? No. Where does where, where do apples come from? Maybe this is a revelation for you. Like agriculture 101. Even I know that. Huh, John? Where come apples from? Trees. 
There's a difference between products and fruit. Products is produced by work. There's a machine that produces a product that has no life. The Spirit produces fruit that is a blessing to everyone. Have you ever seen an apple tree or a pear tree or a peach tree putting effort in producing that fruit? No, with enough fertilizer, enough water, enough sunlight, rain, it just happens. It's natural, no effort, no more trying. You see, that is what the Spirit does in a person. One moment you will just feel that I'm not so angry anymore at my neighbor. You know, I only swear once when load shedding hits and not twice. What happened? Uh, you know, I suddenly feel compassion for people that I see on the street. Where does that come from? That's the fruit of the Spirit that grows in you. Year by year, it's yielding a crop of fruit in your life. We want Christianity to be the product, you know. I put in something. Okay, no more anger. Great. Next. Kom here. Go sort it out for me. Next. Okay. We're going to sort out your lust now. Okay. Scripter, scripter, scripter. Preach, preach, preach. No more lust. Hallelujah. Glory. Who's next? Come on. What's my, what's my worst sin, you know? Bring it on. I've got a product line going. No, my friend, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You need to be deeply rooted, grounded in Him. He needs to fill your life with life. And then He produces fruit. He produces. It's not the fruit of Eugene. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He produces love. In our lives. He produces it. He infills us. I want to end by just quickly showing you out of 1 Corinthians 13. Which is actually not the scripture that we preach on at weddings. I don't know why they preach on this at weddings. Because it's actually a, a picture of God's love for you. It's not a list of how husband and wife should love one another. No, it's a picture of how God loves you. And I want to show that to you and how that works in your relationship with other people. Listen to this. Love is what? Patient. What is patience? It's the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person repeatedly and yet not be upset or angry. You're like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? My friend, that's love. That's not human love. That's godly love. That's agape love. That's the God kind of love. 
he was patient with you. Romans 5 says, he loved you while you were still a sinner and an enemy of God. Love is kind. Not only do I not act and in revenge to a person that take advantage of me, but I actually do kind things to the person that is undeserving of love. That's the story of God. He looked at our lives and saw damage, saw rebellion, and he gave his son. Love does not envy. What is envy? Jealousy. It's that desire that I want something that someone else has. Or I wish that they didn't have what they have. I actually desire evil for them. You see, love says I am content with what I have. And I'm glad for the success of others. Love does not boast. You see, we love to parade our accomplishments and C.S. Lewis says, this is the utmost evil. It's trying to get others jealous of you. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. You see, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. We don't puff ourselves up. Love is not rude. You actually care enough for people to act politely. Love is not self-seeking. You're not preoccupied with your own interests. Love is not easily angered. It never reacts in self-defense. It doesn't, you know, flip. Love is slow to anger. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God's love is like that. He took the list of all of your wrongs and he nailed it to the cross, says Colossians. He thinks of it no more. You see, love does not forgive and forget. It rather remembers and still forgives. It's maybe time that you go and let that person loose. You know, that old cow that you pull out every now and then. You know, you remember what happened two years ago. I just want to remind you of that. Slaughter the cow. Make biltong. Do something. Get it over with. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Love always protects. Listen to this. Love Correct with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. We are so used to the fact that whenever someone messes up, it needs to be exposed. Everyone at your workplace needs to see what happened. This person missed that thing. I'm just going to make sure that everyone on the WhatsApp group knows about that. Love protects mistakes. Love protects relationships. Love trusts. It considers people innocent until proven guilty. But then love always hopes. 
if they are guilty, their failure is not final. Love always perseveres. It will never stop, even if the person keeps on failing. It endures. That's the love of God for humanity. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Have you ever thought that maybe I have spent God's love? He does not have any left for me. Maybe this time was the last moment. The last dripple, dripple, drip of his love. It's empty. My friend, love endures. Love does not delight in evil. It never finds satisfaction from the sin of yourself or the sin of others. You see, gossip is rejoicing in sin, which is terrifying to God. He hates it. Like, God is easily angered when it comes to this. But he's slow to anger for those who have a repentant heart. But those who actually rejoice in someone else's sinning, God has very little patience with that. Because that is exactly opposite of who he is. Our response to someone else's sin needs to be heartbrokenness. We don't publish the sin of someone we cover it. We don't delight in it. We cry about it. We mourn the fact that people are in desperate situations, that people are broken. We don't laugh about it. We don't think that, yo, yo, okay, that person did that. Luckily, I, I'm not that bad, you know. That's rejoicing in someone else's sin. It's terrible. Machtach. But love rejoices with the truth. When it sees something true in someone, it rejoices over that. When it sees a beautiful thing in a person, it brings that to the public. And it celebrates a person. That's how God thinks about you. As I read these things, I, I sense that we may be we have a very limited picture and understanding of love. We need God to come and redefine love for us. We need to come and shake our worlds when it comes to love. But don't start there. Don't think tonight, yeah, Eugene, yeah, okay, I hear you. I need, to, I need to go and love that person that I hate at the moment. I need to go and love them. No, 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 don't start there. Start there. Start there. At one stage, my friend, you hated God. You were in rebellion against Him. He loved you. He brought you close as one of His own kids. That will enable you to love. I want to ask the worship team to join me. And what we're going to do now is we're going to just celebrate communion together. If you've never been with us at a communion service, it's very simple. You don't have to fill in a form to apply to do communion. Chill. If you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, come and enjoy communion with us. And it's so incredible. Paul referenced communion in the Corinthian church, and he speaks about a love feast, a feast of the love of God. 
Why? Because when we come and we drink of the juice, we celebrate the fact that Jesus' blood was poured out because He loved us. When we take the bread and we eat it, we say, thank you, Lord, that you gave up your life so that I can have life, so that I can live a life of love. It's a celebration of love, this table. So I want you to come to the table tonight and thank God that you have a seat at His table, that you have received love, and that you can live as a kid at His table. But secondly, I, I want you to maybe consider one of these stations, maybe on the right, the left, and say, Lord, Help me to discover that I am loved more than ever before. There are little cards there, pens and little hooks that you can put it on. Maybe you've discovered in this series something about the love of God for you. Go and write it down and publish it. Celebrate it. And maybe as we spoke through this series, God has stirred the fact that you need to go and love people. Maybe go and take a card and write it down. Say, I need to love Milani. Or your workplace maybe. Or your family. A friend, a colleague. You've discovered that maybe what's wrong in this is the fact that I don't love them. Go and write it down. Say, Lord, not I'm going to try harder. No, Spirit, I rely on you. I want to know your love. I want to trust your love, but now I want to love your love. I want to give expression to your love. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. Then we're going to go into this time of ministry. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love that is perfect. There's no end to your love. Your love is never ending. And thank you, God, by your spirit, that you would come and pour out your love in our hearts tonight. We pray that in your mighty name. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.